listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Eric Daw. That dude, that guy, he said, he... Yep, you hate him. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. It's the Frat Files podcast. It's a podcast about, uh, ah, you know what it's about. It's about guitars. Come on, it's about guitar tech and guitar building, guitar science, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Eric Daw. I've been repairing and building guitars for way longer than I care to tell you. And uh, this evening's co-host is, of course, my friend, Nat. Hey, Howdy, glad Nat. to be here. Glad to have you. Well, thank you for making me welcome. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can. Drawing on his experience as a professional luthier, mm-hmm. what is on your bench lately, Eric? I have been working on, you know, it's so weird how things come in mm-hmm. waves. Passels. Yeah. Bundles. Harmony Sovereigns. Those big old jumbo. Yeah, the giant. size. Yeah. The, oh. The kind of uh harmony's flagship um acoustic you yeah. know they're kind of their top of the line acoustic yeah big old jumbo thing dang but near it's, square and it's not exactly shaped like a gibson jumbo it's got mm-hmm. kind of its own it's got kind of its own shape yeah i don't think that there's anything that correlates Mm-mm. it's not like they took a pencil and just traced a gibson jumbo it's it's actually different yeah but that's Harmony's Jumbo uh, Dreadnought with um, a little fancier headstock that says Sovereign on it. Yeah. And lo and behold, an adjustable truss rod. Oh, man, that's handy. It is. It's... Especially now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you f- see a vintage Harmony acoustic and it has an adjustable truss rod, you know you're dealing with a, a, a higher-end Harmony. Or at least a prospect. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The There's hope, a glimmer. Just yep. a chance that it may be yeah. worth buying. Maybe you can leave the neck on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. They all need neck Probably resets. Not, huh? right. Yeah. They all need neck resets. But the fact, if when they have an adjustable truss rod, not that their truss rods are particularly uh, particularly good. Yeah. They're actually kind of crummy truss rods. Not but, so adjustable. Yeah. But they, they work. All right, what are we doing? Hey, we're well, doing a cool. show. Oh, I want to hear more about uh, so, so the big old giant guitars, and you had a past love them. And- mm-hmm. The other thing I've been doing is it seems like a lot of bridge re-glues. A lot of acoustic huh. bridges have been coming off, and so I... Just been falling right mm, apart clean, at the seams, huh? Yeah, clean up the old glue and put them back on. What about some of them mm-hmm. uh, fancy... TNS style pinup guitars. Any fancy colors of those? Oh yeah, I'm well. I'm I always making, like to know. Yeah, I'm making guitars currently in the spray booth. I'm. I have a shell pink. See? Yeah. Shell. That's tantalizing. Shell this pink. Is good, this is good stuff. Yeah, and I finally I have a stash of vintage wallpaper. 
Oh, yeah. No one's surprised. You may have a stash of vintage everything. Yeah. <laughs> no one's surprised. But, uh, like vintage cowboy print wallpaper, right? Yeah. So how else? Like cowboys on it. Yeah. Of course. So I find, I did one of these years ago, but I just recently decided to do another one. So I, you know, kind of like the Paisley, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, finish we, that, that Fender, was like shelf liner, Fender did, yeah, contact paper. So this is kind of a similar thing. So I put the wallpaper on the guitar, burst the edges a little bit, and then you've got a kind of a neat, you know, desert Southwest yes. cowboy scene. Some vintage, uh, you know, see them tumbling down. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I've been working on that. Well, I so condone it. So that's in the that's in the paint booth. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. I always like to hear what's in the paint booth. There's yeah. something about that. It's exciting. Oh, yeah. I am satisfied with that answer. Good, good. Thank you. Yeah. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we have a few questions. No calls today. Oh, heck. Yeah, we're a little bit light on material, which is why we are uh, going to do this. The Guitar History Corner. Mm-hmm. Mm, good. I was perusing shopgoodwill.com. Do you, do you ever look at shopgoodwill.com? Well, you know, I had years of therapy to deal with the one time I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I yeah. still have that yeah. broken guitar I in asked the shop. you not to bring it up. Nah, yeah. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, so, way, like, way back in the 90s, mm-hmm. eBay showed up, right? Yeah. And you could find deals because there wasn't enough people uh, buying. That's right. And the people didn't know enough about vintage guitars. Plus, it was the 90s and, yeah, and prices were, hadn't gone crazy. You could peruse them in an hour and a half. It was like thrift store shopping online. You could get deals. Yeah. That didn't last long. The secret got out. Nope. And the days of eBay deals were short lived. Yep. Well, then came shopgoodwill.com and it's like, Deals were to be had again. It was like a, a another secret little corner yep. of the internet where you could snatch up vintage gu- and nice and cool, you know, interesting guitars yep. uh, for a pretty good bargain. Well, now, of course, the secret's out. Yep, I can corroborate. At the time, it was very attractive to go on there and think you're taking guitar candy from babes. Yeah. And they admittedly know nothing Right. So like their yeah. descriptions are always hilarious. Mm-hmm. They they'll be like uh you know, missing two strings. Like this is their description of a Yeah. Like they have a vintage yeah. Gibson acoustic guitar and they'll set it next to a yardstick. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like okay, it's a it's about yay big. Yeah, it's, it's about some, this big. It's some weird cryptic modern art and they'll take very interesting detailed pictures of things that you wouldn't normally like yeah like like somebody who knew about guitars might take a picture of the fretware yeah or you know the bridge or something but they'll take pictures of like the strap button Mm. or like the just the very tip of the headstock or something (laughs) just something very weird and how do they ship these things well, they throw them in a box. And, yes, they do. And they... But not a nice box. No. Yeah. Something that hopefully fits, or they'll tape two boxes together. <laughs> Maybe throw a newspaper in there with it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. They're not really... See, that's the that's the catch. They're not guitar experts at all. So, like, you can't ask questions. Like, mm-hmm. you see a, 
the guitar on there, let's say you see a vintage Martin on there. You go, hey, how's the neck angle on that thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't know. Does this have the fill in the blank? No, man. They have no idea. Anyhow, back to the Guitar History Corner. I was perusing shopgoodwill.com. Lo and behold, a Stratosphere Twin shows oh, up. Oh, man. Now you're hooked. A Stratosphere Twin is a very, very rare double-necked electric guitar from the mid-50s made famous by Jimmy Bryant. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's got one six-string neck and one 12-string neck. It shows up on Shop Goodwill, and you're going, hey, nobody knows what this is. I know nobody knows what this is. Mm-hmm. People are going to think this is some weird Tysco, and when the bidding gets up to $600, they're going to abandon the game. Yeah. Because I know this is like a, you know, $10,000 guitar. Oh, yeah. At least. The mind reels. So I was in it to win it. I was like, oh, oh this is mine. I'm going to get it $37.95. There is no way anyone is is going to snatch this out from under me. Well, the bidding got a little too extreme for me, and I so I bowed out. Dang it. Yeah, when it got up into these multiple thousands. I think it sold for just under five grand. Heavens to Betsy, what they must have yeah. thought on the other end of that, you know? Oh, yeah. They put these things on there with wide-eyed wonder. No earthly idea no what idea they're worth. If it's worth $200 yeah. or 20000 No clue. But to see a super rare and super early Stratosphere Twin show up, it was, you knew it was early because the frets were slanted. And that no was something. Way. Yeah, and only the prototypes have slanted frets. Whoa. It was an early Stratosphere Twin. Now, if you've never seen a Stratosphere Twin... It's the craziest looking guitar. I'll put a picture in the show notes. Now, you keep just calling it Stratosphere Twin. I feel yeah. like you're leaving out a manufacturer. No, no, it's called a Stratosphere Twin. It's not a Magnetone or some no. old Paul Bixby thing. or No. Huh. They're made in, in Springfield, Missouri by two brothers. And they probably only made a hundred or you know maybe yeah. 200 of them at the most. Guitar was made famous by Jimmy Bryant. It's the guitar he played on this song, Stratosphere Boogie. What a coincidence. Yeah, and there's a guitar line in there that he's playing, and um, it sounds like double-tracked harmony guitars, right? Okay. And I don't mean harmony the brand. Yeah. I mean harmonized, yeah. a double, yeah. double-tracked harmonized like runs. twin fiddles. But it's not. It's one guitar because this. the crazy thing about the Stratosphere Twin is on the twelve string neck, they're not the double strings aren't tuned to octaves. They're t- they're tuned to thirds and fifths. So as you oh, play no. single note runs, you got uh, built in harmony yeah. notes. But you have to choose your string carefully because you don't want to play a third. Well, when how you want on a earth fifth, are you going to do it, that? Yeah, well, you basically have to relearn how to play guitar. Okay, but it's a it's an incredibly rare really neat guitar that uh what was the let's read some about it because i don't remember the name of the fellas that made it here but this is from tk smith's yeah website the The stratosphere guitars were made for a short period between 1954 and 1958 by two brothers russ and claude deaver hmm in Springfield, Missouri. Deaver is spelled D-E-A-V-E-R. Okay. 
I'm not sure how many guitars the guys made. I've heard different numbers, but I think fewer than 200. The 12-string neck is tuned in major and minor thirds rather than octaves. Oh, oh okay. Okay, yeah. Okay. Not yeah. thirds and fifths. But, but that that's that's perfect. So if you had the right, if you knew what scale you were in, yeah. you could do the brother harmony all up and down the old neck. Uh the 12-string neck is tuned in major and minor thirds rather than octaves, which requires basically relearning how to play the guitar. The idea was that one person could play twin guitar licks. Wow. I know. Yeah. Um, T.K. Smith continues. He says, It took me a while to figure out the tuning. I put in a lot of hours to work it out, and then I found the catalog with the tunings in it. Oh. Wow. The hardest part, he says, the hardest part was dialing in the string gauges to make it playable. You see huh. these show up for sale online occasionally. Um, I've seen them for sale between 9000 and 20000 Holy heck. Super rare. Really, really super rare. And crazy looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, really crazy looking. I'll, like I said, I'll put a... I'll put a... Uh, a picture in the show notes. I'm going to yeah, see. I kind of think it looks like a Rickenbacker made in Czechoslovakia. Magnetone. Yeah, like yeah. if, if yeah, the Czech Republic made a, a magnetone. Right, right. And and one of those uh, Southern California guitars, like a Bigsby or Magnetone. Or, um, how interesting. So here's a little clip of Jimmy Bryant playing his on oh, a Stratosphere boogie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wicked. So, but that's not overdubbed. That's the Stratosphere Twin. That's one dude. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Now, who's to say you can't just take a normal 12-string and do that with it? Well, I bet you can't. Why? I mean, it's just hard. I guess, but... You couldn't Stratosphere boogie it. Super rare guitar and... I never thought that I'd have a chance to buy one, and I guess I kind of did have a chance to buy one there on Goodwill. They let you believe Shop that. ShopGoodwill.com. Yeah. I thought I was going to get one for a song. The thing about the one that they had was, like, the headstock was cracked. Oh. The pit guards were cracked. You couldn't really tell if the necks were straight or not. And then, you know, you're going to spend $5,000 on this guitar sight unseen and... They're going to ship it to you in what yeah. kind of box? I mean, the thing is wide. Yeah. And I don't know. A, I just, I, yeah, Captain Crunch box, I bet. Yeah, I lost interest after it went over a couple thousand dollars, which, you know. Well, maybe, cool maybe. sounding guitar, too. I love that. I love that uh, mid-50s super clean ranch party stuff. Yeah, California. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that Western swing thing, which really was the fuel behind the Fender's fire. Yeah. It wasn't really rock and roll. It was, mm -mm. it was, it was guys like Jimmy Bryant. Yeah. And who's the young Tommy Collins just came to me. You oh yeah. Yeah. Video of Tommy Collins, little, like little kid. Old, yeah. Shredding with Jimmy Bryant or some of those y guys. Yeah. Ripping it up on, yep. uh, like what was that show that they used to do with? Well, there was some kind of ranch, wasn't there? Something ranch. Like party, like a, like, Ranch Party? What was it called? Well, that's what came out of my mouth earlier, but... All right, I have to look it up. Hold on. Okay, everybody just wait. Yeah, so there was, So it's, it was called Ranch Party. 
Tex Ritter's Ranch Party. See what comes out of my brain sometimes? I know. It, it was in there. Rattling. It's Joe just, Maphis. Yeah. He was a shredder. And Buck Owens. Oh, Buck Owens is the man. Heck sakes. Love me some Buck Owens. Well, we've sufficiently filibustered the beginning of the show. Should we uh, take a couple questions here? Uh, uh, yeah, let's do. Let me try one. We call them, uh, we call them letters, even though they're really <laughs> emails. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Stacks and stacks of emails. Hi, Eric. Does tight bond glue go bad? I've had a bottle on my shelf for a few years, and it's half full. Mm, I'm glad it's not half empty. He's an optimist. I love that. <laughs> it seems to be okay. It looks the same, and it's still got what seems to be the same viscosity as when it was new. Did you taste it? Yeah, it's probably, the next step. Probably should, taste it. Should I just replace it anyway? What's the rule of thumb here? Thanks. Jerry in New Hampshire. NH. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, you know what the rule of thumb is? Uh, you know what the etymology of that is? No, <laughs> well, please we, tell me. No, we won't get into it. <laughs> is that inappropriate? All no, right. well, I, it's just... Okay. That, that's just my personality. You, you, <laughs> okay. You ask me what time it is, and I'm going to tell you all about my watch. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I would say replace it. How much is a bottle of Tight Bond? Nine bucks? Well, it's, I guarantee you his has the price tag still on it. Yeah, from Ernst or yeah, something. I was going to yeah. say Ernst. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a regional thing? Uh, I know. think it was Northwestern, yeah. Ace Hardware. Bit. Yeah. Um, after a year, if you've got an open bottle of Tight Bond, I would say replace it. Now, hmm. it's probably fine. It's probably fine for several years. And if you're just gluing up a, if you're just gluing up a kitchen chair, it's probably fine. But if you're gonna re-glue, you know, the bridge on a twelve-string Takamine, you might wanna, you might wanna use fresher tight bond. That if it's been sitting half empty on your shelf for two years, yeah. Let's look at. You know what? I've got an idea. You can harness the powers of the let's internet. Let's see what tight bond says about the shelf life of their glue, because I bet you. I don't know. What about the thrill of rampant speculation? It's kind of fun. I mean, the sad thing is he could have just done this himself, but that's what this show is. He says, here's a hoop. You fellas jump through it. And we appreciate it, because without it, we don't have a show. Yeah, it would be harder. Here's from tightbond.com. Tightbond polyurethane glue has a one-year shelf life in an unopened container. But, what? But is usable as long as the glue remains fluid. Well, that's contradictory, and I dismiss it out of hand. Yeah, it really One doesn't year help. unopened? Their, Come their, on. Their explanation really doesn't help. And then help. they say, but if it's fine, then it's all right. Polyurethanes, however, are designed to react when exposed to moisture. Oh. Sometimes they begin to cure and solidify after the bottle has been opened. So I would hmm. s- say... I would go with their one-year shelf life after opening. If you know, I mean, if if you're doing something structural with it, which, by the way, if you read the label, and I know this because I, I did, yeah, it says right on the label, not for structural yeah. use, <laughs> yeah, please. Which, like, 
what's more structural than a 12-string Takamine bridge? Yeah, it's got that's, some structure. That's pretty structural. I think, of a thing. I think what they mean is, like, don't build a garden shed out of it. Yeah, and why not? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you. Why I don't know. But anyhow, Jerry, I would say go buy a new bottle of Tight Bond. And this time, maybe buy the small bottle. Yeah, just get a little one. How about that? A little tiny one. Thanks, Jerry. Good one. Hello. I recall some talk about Les Paul wiring where Gibson Les Pauls are wired a certain way and Epiphone Les Pauls are wired slightly differently. Mm, that is true. Yeah, it's a good use of uh, an adverb and a adverbial modifier. Something. <laughs> Thanks, Nat. You're welcome. About how the volume controls work. There's kind of just a phrase. How can I mod my Epiphone Les Paul so that the volume controls work like a Gibson Les Paul, and is it worth doing? Hmm. Scott in Washington. That's interesting. Scott, uh, so the difference is, and I don't know why they did this. It's true. There is a difference. It's very strange to me huh. that they did this because, you know, Epiphone only made Les Pauls after Gibson bought the company, like then decades later, so, mm -hmm. you know, as their budget line, yeah, they had the Epiphone Les Pauls. So it completely was, um, f you know, modeled after the real Gibson Les Paul. And there shouldn't have been copyright problems. Well, no, because it's, the, it's all within Gibson. Mm -hmm. So why on earth did they change the wiring? There's a madness that grips people, man. It's a curious thing. The, yeah. And the difference is in the volume controls. So on a Gibson, uh, each volume pot is a master volume. Oh, that's right. So if you've got the switch in the middle position and you roll off one or the other volume. Lights out. No sound. Yeah. Just by, just by rolling back one of the volumes. If you have an Epiphone, Les Paul, and you put the switch in the middle position, you can independently roll down the volume on one or the other pickup and just lose huh. that pickup, but the other pickup will still work. Whoa. That's the difference. On a Gibson, the volumes are master volumes. And on an Epiphone, they're independent volumes. Huh. And the difference is um, just how they wired the pots. So, to get it to work like a Gibson, you'll want to um, swap the two hot lugs of the volume pot. So, you've got three lugs on a volume pot. Okay. One is grounded to the casing of the pot. Okay. That leaves you with two lugs. One, a wire is coming in from the pickup, and the other one, a wire is going out to the switch or yep. the jack out the switch in this case um and i'm trying to remember so like uh so like on a fender they are okay yeah so um it, it depends on so like w when you roll down the volume you are grounding whatever is wired to the middle lug. Okay, yeah. So if you want to ground out only the pickup, then 
then you, um, boy, this is hard to, I think this you're is almost hard to there. I think I'm almost there. Yeah. If you want it to act as a master volume, let me say it that way. If you want it to be a master volume, then you want to ground out the switch. So you'll put the switch uh-huh. on the middle lug. If you only want to ground out the pickup, then it'll be, then it'll only be a volume for that pickup. It won't be a master volume. So on an Epiphone, the pickup wire goes in to the outer, no, excuse me. See, see, if I don't have a schematic, see how difficult this is? On an Epiphone, they are um, independently working volume controls. So the pickup is the middle lug. Yeah. On a Gibson, they're masters, so the switch goes to the middle lug. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of the order of the switch, isn't it? Or is uh, that not precise? No, it's, it's, it's the... Um, the switch is in between the wiper and ground on one. Am I making this totally you're worse? Making it dif- <laughs> you're making it more difficult, and there's no reason for it. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. You've got two wires going to the pot. And you'll on an Epiphone, you'll just switch them, and then it'll work like a Gibson. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's simple. I think that we overcomplicated that, Scott. So I tell you what, we, we should take a break, and we'll be right back. Yeah, we need to rest. All right, here's a break. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now, imagine you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping included if you're in the USA. Great coffee every morning. Just got a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get an additional 10% off. That's pinup, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music, you can order a neck straightening iron, some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I I think it I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've I've used a lot. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com they're $7.49 I know that seems like a lot it's it's a tool I tell you what it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over if you go to playersgearmusic.com scroll down on the main page scroll 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 down to where it says fan of the fret files podcast you click that that adds one to your cart and it's 50 bucks off. So instead of 749, it's 699. 
$6.99, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron, playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one, I'm telling you. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out, and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Hey, speaking of Apex Coffee, don't let me forget, I've got a bag of Apex Coffee for you to take with oh, you. Oh, good. I really look forward to that. I know, it's so good. I really do like it. It is very good. All right, let's have another one of them uh, questions. Okay, thanks for the prompt. Eric and Nat. Hey, guys. Hey. I have a question about potentiometers and pickups. Another one? Yeah. They love it. My brain already hurts. I know. That was my fault. I think I understand, but help me confirm what I'm thinking or straighten me out. I have a modern Rickenbacker 330 with the modern high-gain pickups, which I will kind of liken to a P90, and they are a little woody or bassy to my taste. Okay. Okay. I looked at the factory spec, and all the pots in this guitar are 330K. Huh. Which seems a little weird. Yeah. Well, it's Rick. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also the models kind of freaking them out, I think. I checked around with some Rick guys and ordered a new harness that came with 250K volume and 500K tone pots, which is supposed to be more historically correct, I guess. Okay. Wow. Still not what I had in mind. If I wanted the pickups to be brighter or chimier, would I not want like 500K volume pots to retain more of the high frequencies? Mm-hmm. Are the 500K tone pots somehow doing this job? The higher the pot value, the more high frequencies retained, correct or not? What are your thoughts? By the way, I'm going to unline that. We'll come back to it. That's a good little question. What are your thoughts? By the way, BT Dub, I have many guitars, but I gravitate to pretty much one amp. I tried to EQ the amp toward the high-end chime as well, but that didn't feel or sound good to my ears either. Thanks, guys. You're doing the Lord's work. That's <laughs> Zach Hoppenrath. Thanks, Zach. We're not doing the Lord's work. <clears throat> We're just stumbling in the dark, man. Uh, yeah, you are correct, sir. Um, if you want a brighter, chimier sound, you want 500k volume pots if those 250k volume pots sound a little bit dark to you that's one way to brighten it up is to put 500k volume pots the 500k tone pots um don't do the trick by themselves you'd have to replace both so the the volume pot um it will open it up and give you'll get a little more high end if you swap it out for a 500k huh yeah. That is simply true, that the higher the pot value for volume, mm-hmm. the more high frequencies are retained. Yeah, and so um, the reason being is that even with the pot all the way up, so wide open, all mm-hmm. the way up, it's still attenuating the signal a little yep. bit because there is some resistance there. Yep. Namely, 250K ohms. Right, that's the minimum or, resistance. Of yeah, that thing? or in the case of a 500k pot, huh. 500k. Right, so in between the hot signal and the ground, there's 500k resistor there, basically. Yeah, at minimum. And so, okay. so um, what happens is 
for some reason, the higher frequencies go first. Yeah. So you lose your higher frequencies with the uh, with the 250K, and you get right. more of the higher frequencies back with the 500K. If you went all the way up to one meg, you'd even have more high frequencies. And they even make no-load pots, which are uh, which basically huh. means when the pot is all the way up, there is no load on it. There's okay. like a, they cut the the carbon path, or the carbon path doesn't go all the way up, hmm. so that when the volume pot is turned all the way up, there is no resistance load on the circuit. Hey. Yeah, so you could do that. I don't really recommend those because we're really we're used to hearing guitars with 250k and 500k pots. Mm-hmm. One meg pots. Like for a while, Fender used one meg pots in Telecasters. Man, they're bright. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much. It's too much. But I would think that 500k in this guitar that you're talking about, Zach, I would think that that would be the way to go. That's my guess. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to, uh, glad you cleared that up simply. That was oh, a good one. yeah. Thanks, Zach. Let me try this one. Okay. Hi, Eric. Should I use linear pots? Oh, my or- gosh. More potential. This is like the potentiometer episode. People are crazy about them pots. Should I use linear pots or audio pots in a guitar circuit? Hmm. Can you explain the difference and what each will do as a volume or tone control? Thanks. Hmm. Huh. So audio pots, sometimes they're called logarithmic. Yeah, audio taper. Yeah. And the difference is in in uh, the sweep as you as you turn the pot up or down, you could graph what's happening. Um, you know, if you took. 10 different measurements along the mm-hmm. along the path of the travel of the pot you could graph the measurements that you took with an ohm meter you could say okay wide open it was 500k here it was you know 432k and then it was 398k mm-hmm. and then it was you graph that so if you graphed a an audio taper pot you would have a curved line that's like a um yeah, convex. It, yeah, it's it's exponential growth. Yeah. Yeah, so you'd have a curved line that that is like a constantly sloping What's upward. this shape called? Like That's a, a like a skateboard half pipe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a jump, like a sweet jump you're going to take your bike on. Uh if you graphed the um you know, 10 independently or 10 equally spaced spots on a linear pot, you would come up with a straight line from one yep. end of the graph to the other. Yep. Straight one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. So the difference is in how they sweep, right? And f- for some reason, audio, our ears hear logarithmically. So you... Uh, and, a, a logarithmic audio taper sounds natural to your ear. That's right. Yeah. Where a linear taper sounds extreme. Yeah. So 
what happens is if you use a linear taper pot, say on your volume control, you'll turn it and turn it and turn it and nothing's really happening. And all of a sudden there's a, there's a dramatic change where if you use an audio taper pot, you turn it and it's just a nice gradual change from zero to 10 where perceived it is. Yeah. yeah. Perceived. Yeah. yeah. To your ear. You, that's what you hear. So volume or tone, same thing happens with a linear pot. You'll hear nothing. And then all of a sudden it's kind of a jump whammy and you, yep. and it's kind of an extreme jarring difference with a, with an audio taper pot. It's a more gradual taper and it sounds sounds more naturally gradual to your ear. So I recommend, and most manufacturers and repair guys do, I recommend audio taper pots in guitar circuits. Now, huh. some people like linear because they want just a tiny little area of play there. Like, for example, um, oh man, who's, what's that? that DC area guitar player that... Yeah, Danny Gatton. Danny Gatton. He really liked linear tone controls because he liked to use it like a wah-wah, like a pedal steel. Oh, with his pinky or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And he liked that extreme jump. Rather mm-hmm. than a gradual thing, he liked that... The um, the quick... The quick reaction. The quick it, reaction yeah. of, a li- of a linear pot. I get it. So there are cases where you could use a linear pot and it's... And it would be preferable to a certain player, but 95% of the time, audio taper pots are what I would recommend in uh, guitar circuits, passive guitar circuits. Yeah. How neat. There you go. Was that sufficiently verbose? Yeah, and it was uh, dang near scientific, too. I like that. (laughs) That's good. Uh, Let me try another one. Hi, Eric. I had my guitar in at my local repair shop, and I'm 99% sure the guy put a ding on the back of the neck. Oh, bummer. I don't know. This is going to be unsatisfactory either way. Let's hope. Never mind. It's half full. I don't know how, but I don't remember feeling a ding there before. I think I would have noticed it. How would you approach this situation? Should I go in and complain? Or take it to a different shop and pay to have it filled? What say you? That's from Jim. Hmm. This is a moral quandary, man, and, and he's a little heartsick over it. I would be. Yeah, he doesn't say what kind of guitar it is. I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, or how the pickups are wound. or. No well, matter. I mean, like if it's a $99 <laughs> Squire versus I a... I know. That's, is this a 50s Fender? It's critical, yeah, and... You know, fancy neck or what the wood is, or yeah. Um, I would say, plus he doesn't say like how bad the ding is. Is it down to the wood? Is it like a gouge, or is it just like a little, just a little ding? I like this nuanced and perceptive uh, understanding you have that there are degrees of this. There are, and it's not on or off. There's yeah. also here's another mitigating factor. Oh boy, what's his relationship with this local repair shop? Has he been yeah. going there for twenty years? And do you need to go? there for another 20 or was this just a was this just a first time shot yeah f- for this shop that you've never been there before some guy that listened to the show one and a half times yeah. and just went nuts <laughs> it kind of it kind of depends it does That's it really good. depends yeah there's a lot of circumstances 
that I don't know about with your question that um, I feel like would be pertinent information to know. But I would tell you this. Why don't you have a conversation with the guy? And preface it this way. Say, you know, you could call him on the phone or you could go in in person and you could say, hey, look, man, this is a friendly visit. I'm not uh, confrontational in any way. Um, But I, I feel like this happened on your bench because, you know, it's where my hand goes when I play the guitar and, and I only noticed it after yeah. I picked up the guitar from you. Like, I would have noticed this beforehand. Yeah, with the right kind of tone. Yeah. And say, you know, I mean, I'm just wondering if you think it's within the realm of possibility that you damaged this because I'm thinking that it, that it happened while it was here in the shop. How about this as a little uh, confrontational technique or uh, uh, an understanding? You kind of got to leave a person an out if you're... Trust me from all my bad experiences in life. Well, most people will take it. Yeah. <laughs> though. You know what I mean? Well, but you can't just hem. It's not about negotiating to win to, for, to get this guy to admit that he damaged this guy's guitar. It's more like, hey, can we work together towards a solution? Yeah. Um, is there, yeah, together we're working towards this sort of thing. Yeah. What can it's we tough. do? Yeah. What can, can we do? Can this can be we... fixed? Might be a better first question. Yeah. Is this easily fixed? Yeah. Um, it's possible the guy full well knows he dinged the guitar neck. I don't know. I don't know who you took it to and what their ethics are. I don't know. I'd like to think that that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Let's give the guy the benefit of a doubt. Probably should. Was it in a gig bag? Because maybe it sat there, you know in line with the other guitars and got bumped with a case and he wouldn't have even, you know, maybe didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know, but I would say, you know, look at it from his point of view and don't go in there with a confrontational, like, Hey buddy, you know, you screwed up my guitar. Yeah. That ain't gonna That's work. not going to be a, a winning solution. But if you go in there, kind of like you're embarrassed to point it out, you know, yeah. say, hey, you know, I I kind of hate to bring this up, but it seems as though there's a ding here that, that wasn't there before. Is it possible that this happened while it was in your shop? And, uh, I don't, you know, I'm not looking f- like to lay the blame on on anybody, but, you know, if it's possible that it happened while it was in the shop... Maybe there's something that you could uh, do to make me feel better about it, and you could fill the ding, you know. Or what could he do? How, how easy would it be? It'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? With well, if it's just I'm picturing like a little ding on a like, on a polyurethane square like neck hit, or something. Hit, yeah, me too. And that's so. a really easy thing to drop fill oh, with some, with super glue. And sand oh, and polish. Okay, well, that's... You'd never even know it was there. That's a, a very important critical understanding there. Yeah. That, yeah, the guy could do it. So maybe approach it from, hey, uh, this be an easy thing to remedy. I Maybe I'm silly for noticing yeah. this, but... Now, if it's a really expensive guitar, or if it has a, you know, a lacquer finish with a lot of lacquer checking, or, you know, then maybe you'll want to take it to somebody who... Because it doesn't sound like you have a lot of trust in this shop. Yeah. Because you're afraid to even talk to them about mm-hmm. a ding you think that they put in it. Very perceptive, yeah. So it depends on the guitar. 
But my guess is, and, you know, just from the pure statistics of of, of guitars, yeah. uh, that this is, you know, a relatively inexpensive guitar, probably. Because most guitars are. And a relatively inexpensive fix. Yeah. So it's not a big deal, unless, of course, it is. Yeah. If, if this is your prototype uh, Stratosphere Twin. Man. If you, <laughs> did you buy that one? <laughs> Who the, bought that? Yeah. If you're, listening to this, if you're listening to this show and you bought my Stratosphere Twin <laughs> off of Shop Goodwill... Write me a little email and let me know. Let me know how it showed up. I want to, yeah, take a picture of I the box or want, boxes. Yeah, I want to see a picture of those. Like, they probably taped together four or five priority mailboxes. Yeah, <laughs> they got free. Yeah. yeah Maybe yeah. a pizza box. Anyhow, Jim, I'm sorry about the ding on your on your guitar neck there, and I hope that whatever, does he say where he's at? No, he doesn't say. He's a little reticent to say. You know, he's kind of in a he's at a crossroads in life over this thing. It's tough. You know, even if it's a cheap guitar, you would you would think that a reputable shop would step up and say, "Hey, you know, this is an easy fix that I'm happy to do for you, whether whether or not it happened here in in yep. our shop. Um, it's worth." It's worth saving our reputation to to do this little drop fill yeah. ding touch up for free. That's what I would say if if it were me. But it's, if it's that easy, that's great. Anyhow, I like it. That does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, you ought to you ought to participate in the old show here. Boy, they really should. You can you can do that a number of ways. Uh, please don't send questions in uh, on Instagram or anything like that, <laughs> because then I have to collate all the questions from all the all the nether regions, all these different corners of the internet. Yeah, it would it would help me if you go to my website ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and then send in your question there. The other acceptable way to do it is to call in a question or text this number, 757-774-8482. And you can call that number uh, anytime, night or day. It's just a voicemail. Nobody's going to answer it. 757-774-8482. And we will use your question or comment or complaint (laughs) on the show. Moral quandary, whatever. We had a pretty good complaint on. Uh, I don't think I talked to you about it. Oh no! You you shielded my tender feelings. You remember? Feelings? Well, you remember when we offhandedly disparaged Warwick bases? Oh no! I got a few pieces of hate mail over that. We got canceled. Yeah. Dang it! Yeah, it was no big deal. Well, and oh, wait, it was whose dad made? It was Framus. It was the connection Framus between kid Framus and Warwick. Yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, you know you're radder than us. Don't. It's cool. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, I, all we said was that they were goofy looking, and I kind of I stand by that comment. Yeah, it's hard to dispute, man. It's like if Dr. Seuss drew a base. Yeah. It's all nobular and 
blobby. Looks like it's a rather whimsical. It looks like somebody left out the silly putty and then yeah. We just made it worse. Anyway, yeah, Warwicks are awesome. Send your hate mail to <laughs> Nat. Yeah, you have to typewrite these things, though. All right. Well, that does it for the show. Yeah, shut her down. Yep. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye.